Welcome, welcome, Analog Avengers. Leave behind the Sydney skyline and travel down east to hear the tram chime. This is the Melbourne Takeover of the Nib Section podcast. Takeover! Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Nib Section podcast, the official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. It's a Melbourne takeover this episode. My name is Mel Sanders and my co-host is the Lord of Lamy, Kevin Yank. That's Hi, me. Kevin. Hello. I wasn't sure which of the two of us you were about to refer to. Hey, there. look, you get top billing in this one. Thank you. No worries. We are giving Diana, Sharon, Chuck and Tav the next couple of episodes off so they have some time to concentrate on dance, work, singing and the dogs. This episode, we are joined by one of the Melbourne Fountain Pen community's greatest assets, Tom May. Hey, dude. Hey, how you doing? Good man. How are you? Not bad. Thank you for talking to us today. No worries. My pleasure. This is going to be a collector's edition. We're going to get to know Tom a little bit better. Oh, God. And to start off, we are going to uh, let everybody know what we are riding with today. Tom, would you like to start since you are our guest? All right. Uh, Anyone who's met me in person or seen my shirt pocket will not be surprised by this. I'm riding with a 1946 Golden Pearl Parker Vacumatic. What are you keeping that in, please, Tom? I'm keeping it in one of Rod Hallowell's little leather cases that I got from the uh, Sydney Pen Show Mm -hmm. two years ago. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, get it out. I can't even see the pen. Rod's pods. This is great for for podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't it beautiful, Kevin? (laughs) It's not for the podcast. This is for me. (laughs) Wow. Okay, so it's got that stack celluloid thing going. That's it. That's Sparkly it. brown it's and gold. It's kind of a goldy brown. Yeah. The at the highlights of the of the material match the gold trim. It, it suits the uh, suits the brown corduroy I'm wearing. Yeah. Yeah. I think we should do a what are you wearing segment. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Maybe we could just pop a photo into the show notes of Tom's <laughs> impeccable style. He was telling me about his tailored coat and his tailor put a pen pocket in it because he knows he's a pen man. Yeah, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. Good guy. Yeah. Um, Kevin, what are you riding with today? Oh, uh, old standby, Lamy 2000, the current model, because um, there are several generations of this pen. But this is the, the current modern one. It says Germany 2 under the clip. And, uh, and it's rocking Lamy Blue Black, which is kind of like the no surprises, writes great every time, pen and ink combo for me. Great ink. Yeah. What nib have you got on that one? That's just a medium. It's a medium that I have slowly fallen more and more in love with. There was a there was an initial period with this nib that was a little rocky that we might get to later. Mm. But uh, yeah, today this 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 nib never fails to make me smile. Beautiful, Tom. Did we um, say what was in your pen? No, we didn't. What it's Lamy Black. Lamy Black. Good old reliable yeah, Lamy Black. Yeah. I can guarantee you, there's no Lamy ink in my pens. <laughs> Lamy Black is like, when I get a pen and it's kind of old and I'm worried what the ink might do to it, I put Lamy Black in it. I've got Lamy Black sitting in pens that are over 100 years old and I just know it won't do anything to it. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, this is going to be like a Lamy nerd fest <laughs> just in case anybody's uh, interested. My pen, uh, my pen is a dark green faceted, I believe they're acrylic. I'll go with you on that. Uh, vanishing Point. Uh, mid-90s from what my research can tell me, it's branded Namiki. Um, Let's call it British Racing uh, Green. Beautiful. Yeah. It's filled with um, Sioro. How do you say it? I'm not attempting. Um, yeah, is no. that an Iro Suzuki? It is an Iro Suzuki <laughs> week. It's the... Uh, Iro Green. Y- yeah, one of those. The Forest Green, is that the one? I think Dew Drops on... Yeah. Oh, I oh, can't yeah, remember. Ju- on yeah. Pine. Yeah, yeah. Butchering this, It's everybody. like a T2 flavour yeah. name. Yeah. yeah, it's lovely. But it's a beautiful colour. I really like the ink because it um, it changes on the page. Mm. It's really interesting. Um, mm. One of Lummy the really black interesting ones. Yeah, it goes from black to black. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, after our last, after Kevin and I last recorded our podcast for Kevin's collector's edition, um, Mr. Yank had this beauty come up in an alert. Yeah. Um, Mel had quietly said, you know, <laughs> what I would love to get one day is one of those faceted vanishing points. And I was like, I've got you covered. It came up in a bunch of nondescript Lamies. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. It turned up in one of my Lamy searches. It was like, hey, I'm selling two Lamy's and a VP faceted. And I was like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> thank you. Why not? Is find this. <laughs> this is Mel's moment. <laughs> and because of Kevin's magic coding, uh, he's the next 
He's the rightful next owner. Yes, that's right. I um, said if she ever gets rid of it, it's mine. But I will likely cherish it forever, so <laughs> I apologise. It is stunning. <laughs> All right. Tom, you ready? Yeah. All right. Let's rock and roll. All right. Um, tell us a bit about your collection. All right. So I'm not really sure where to begin. It's sort of turned less and less into a collection. It's becoming more and more focused as time has gone on. Well, tell us how long you've been collecting. For. Uh, I've been collecting probably... Well, seriously, mostly vintage pens since 2016, Mm -hmm. which I think was my second Melbourne pen show, Mm -hmm. where I picked up my first Schaefer Balance and my first Parker Vacuumatic. From Bernie? From No, not from Bernie, actually. From a fellow who is now retired from the pen biz, Peter Ford. Lovely. And uh, i got to say... What year was that? That was 2016. 2016, okay. Yeah. And i got to say... if you have a look at my collection now, those two first purchases are very indicative of where it went from then on. <laughs> you knew what you wanted. Pretty right. much. And everything yeah. else has been a detour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd love to get to the stage of um, uh, I think is Matt Jacobson is a watch collector. He has this great sort of one-in-one-out policy. I think I don't know how many he's got. But like I'd Chuck's love... kind of got a one-in-one-out. Yeah, one yeah, out. exactly. Sort of. Yeah. Not at the moment. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Well, yeah, I'm sort of starting to... Uh, I thought I was getting really good at only getting rid of pens and all of a sudden Sydney Pen Show happened and, well, you know, you fall down a hole again. Yeah. What's the size of your current collection? Uh, I don't... Let's be generous and say around 15. That's 15. concise. Ballpark. It might be a little bit more than that. It might yep. be a little bit less. Uh, but I've been really brutal in trying to pare it down to the, the bare necessities. It's a distillation. Exactly. Mm. I've kind of given Kaveco and Lamy a pass. Mm-hmm. So yeah, right. Being, you see them all day? See, see them all day, and it's like I feel like it's it's almost my job to have a couple of those lying around, so they don't count. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so they're – like Diana doesn't doesn't count her pen BBSs and her Kakunos in her count, so you don't <laughs> you don't count your Lamy's in your Kavecos. Yeah, but it's 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 – it's a bit dangerous when some of those Lamy's can get rather expensive yeah. and you're just like, oh, no, that doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have a penchant for stationery before you got into fountain pens? I had somewhat of a penchant. penchant. Um, before I could afford fountain pens, I was big into pencils. Oh, yeah. Uh, particularly, of course, everyone knows the Palomino yep. Blackwing, Blackwing 602. Uh, and then I got into the Eberhard Faber Blackwing 602s, mm-hmm. which are so much more expensive. And then, of course, the wonderful world of General Pencil Company Cedar Points and Mitsubishi 9850s and all sorts of little quirky things with beautiful packaging. Lovely. I'm a Philistine when it comes to pencils. Yeah, um, me too. Uh, so I- they're, in, a, in a weird way, they're even more dangerous and fountain pens how obsessive you can get like I was watching I remember I went to see Dog Day Afternoon at the Aster and during the most emotionally wrought scene in the movie I was just like oh she's using an Eberhard Faber Mongol <laughs> <laughs> I'm like oh I've really I've kind of ruined this movie for myself now by being into pencils is it I don't know how much we want to go into pencils but I like they're a disposable item yeah so, yeah you know, which which you, is so strange about collecting vintage yeah right um, do you not like? Do collectors just not use them? Oh, they certainly are. Do I, they come I, in boxes or do you buy them singularly? Depends. Okay. Like Blackwing six hundred twos, like original Eberhard Faber ones. If you want a box of that, you're talking like seven hundred dollars yeah, to right. a grand, and that's even for someone like me difficult to justify when mm-hmm. you realise that it's like as soon as I sharpen one, I'm, it's I'm not. Not only is it not worth what I bought it for, but it's going to disappear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then at the same time, uh, this goes into my pens and my watches and everything I own I don't own anything to own it I own it to use it so pencils are almost a perfect thing for that it's like I'm not having a collection just to say oh well I've got and I've got yep I had I used exactly yeah yeah Yeah. nice cool Um, what's the focus of your collection at the moment your pen collection Uh, good question probably anything celluloid big part celluloid uh, smaller pens. I don't really buy into the whole large pen thing. I think you look at you look at what was popular in the the well from the beginning of fountain pens all the way into really the 1960s, even 70s. All of the pens were relatively small. When Schaefer would come out with oversized pens, uh, or the Parker Vacuumatic Maximas, or famously the Schaefer pen for men, pens that are really adored now back then 
the reason they're so sought after now is because they didn't sell back then. Yep. They were not considered, you know, the right size of pen. So most of these pens are small enough to fit in a shirt pocket, which is convenient. They're, they feel great in the hand. They're not too heavy. Um, so, yeah, smaller celluloid pens, particularly ones with sort of really interesting celluloid patterns like my stack celluloids and yep. whatnot. Yeah. Is there a particular era that you prefer? Um, it depends what brand we're talking so Parker, I definitely prefer 40s and 50s. Yeah. Uh, definitely prefer 40s and 50s. Schaefer, the 1930s, uh, like the early balances, when, uh, particularly when they had the, v- uh, the vacuum fill balances. But as soon as they sort of started doing the, um, the Triumph nibs and whatnot, the more inlaid nibs, didn't really like how they look. Mm-hmm. Um, and then say Mont Blanc, similar, 1930s, 1940s, Mont Blanc is beautiful. Yeah, it really depends. So whatever the golden age for the brand was in terms of what you look for. In, yeah, in, yeah, certainly in my opinion. Yeah, and yeah. It's, and um, I, I would like, I don't think I really have much. Lamy's sort of the weird outsider. Lamy's like the, the, the Dieter Rams radio in an in a 18th century house uh-huh. or something. Uh-huh. It's like that's the weird outlier in my collection. Yeah. I, and that's every, its role is to be. Yeah, bigger. exactly. Yeah. It's like everything else generally kind of, and we're talking like clothes and watches and everything sort of starts to sort of form around a particular style, I suppose. What can you tell for, for someone who knows nothing about celluloid, but I hear of it as this increasingly mythical material that's not being used anymore. Mm-hmm. Like what is it just the appearance of the material that they can achieve that makes celluloid special? Or is there something else about it? It's it's. It's so many different things, and I I don't know the the science behind it or, or really how I um, how I should probably probably approach it. Mm. Um, it's certainly the appearance of it, like certain celluloid finishes, um, even when they've tried to mimic that in acrylics since haven't quite done it. Mm. And even if this is completely imaginary in my placebo in my own head, celluloid is just so warm to the touch. There's a real feeling to it. Acrylics, as beautiful as some of the acrylics that some of the uh, custom pen makers are using around the world, mm-hmm. every time I get them in the hand, they just feel cold. Yeah, they pull. They, they feel they cold. Yeah, yeah. They feel cheap, even though they shouldn't at all, um, and they certainly aren't cheap to manufacture. Uh, they just there isn't that feeling there, whatever that is. And I just I'm a bit of a movie guy as well, so celluloid oh, right. leaks yes, in there as well. The and I, a bit. I, I love the um, <laughs> I love the history of uh, I, I believe celluloid was developed originally or at least predominantly used by the billiard ball industry. Wow! Solely because they were killing too many elephants, <laughs> and oh, it wasn't because they were trying to conserve elephants. It was like we're literally going to go out of business if right. we uh, there's no more elephants. There are no more elephants. Oh. We'd better find an alternative. So it's like uh, accidental animal conservation. <laughs> As you and some of our older listeners will know, like I buy a lot of old Lamy pens and yeah. I find a lot of the vintage ones, they're advertised as celluloid, but I never know if that is actually the material they're made with or if they, the lister has just gone, it's plastic, it's old, I'll advertise it as celluloid. Yeah, and you get, um, and it's always tricky because, I mean, I can't say working somewhat within Lamy, I have any answers for you because I'm sure there might be one or two people in the Lamy factory in Heidelberg that'll yeah. have all the answers yeah, yeah. but I'm not even sure if that's true like it's <laughs> such a wild west and that's not even just Lamy it's every brand yeah. like Parker Vacumatics I tried to get um, when I was just having the bare minimum I wanted to have all five colours of the stacked celluloid so I got all roughly the same era the same generation mm-hmm. um, and then I one of them I had to get a made in Canada because it was only made in Canada for that generation yada 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 mm-hmm. um, and they're all different lengths mm. so it's like you just have one different factory and all of a sudden the Parker Vacumatic major stacked celluloid on paper the same model is different it's like the people who made these pens didn't take them seriously or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they were once upon a time far more common than they are <laughs> So you had all of those colors, and the distillation has happened since then. The distillation has happened. Um, now I have the three that I – I have the one that I use, which is the Golden Pearl. I use that day in, day out. I have the first one I got, the green or the, or the emerald pearl, which I'm, I'm never going to get rid of because I'm a sentimental bloke. Mm-hmm. And the red one, which is a red third generation, which was made for uh, – 
might have only been one year in the ni- early 1950s, which is insanely late for the Parker Vacuumatic in Canada. Um, I guess it must have been the Mountie edition. Mm. But yeah, it was, it was the only time they ever made a third generation. My Canadian heart swell. <laughs> <Yay. laughs> um, I'll have to show it to you. Yeah. yeah it is beautiful. I, I would love to. I love a red pen too. Um, you were telling me at some point that you're, you're narrowing the color range. You realize that you, you only use certain colors of pen. Yes, which is hilarious considering I just bought the Lamy 2000 Bauhaus <laughs> Blue edition because I've found out the hard way buying certain vintage pens that I don't ever pick up a pen that's colored blue. Right. Um, just because even if I, like, I've had a beautiful Conway Stewart and a beautiful Waterman and, of course, a blue pearl or azure uh, Parker Vacumatic, and I just never pick it up. When I've got the red Schaefer Balance or the golden pearl Parker Vacumatic, I just want to use those. doesn't matter how beautiful. And I was like, so I'm kind of happy there with owners now who love them and who yeah. use them. Because then I can always, it's like, um, I don't know, it's like, it's, it's like getting rid of anything. I can always pop in if I want to see it again. And, yeah. Well, those Bauhaus Blues are never going to be as cheap as they were the day they came out. So Ooh, No. <laughs> even if, even no, if you decide not. to pass it on one day, it'll yeah. go to a good home for a good price, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Okay, cool. What is your favorite model? Hard one. Fa- of, of, of all of time. Of all that time. I, Pin oh, it down. I, feel like a broken record it's a park of acumatic yeah and that's no surprise to anyone yeah that's been true from the, the start. beginning that's, nothing's changed that's been mind. pretty true since the first park of acumatic i've got if we're talking modern pen um and properly modern i'd almost consider the lamy 2000 vintage at this point because yeah. it's i mean we'll talk about this at another point mm. but there's hardly anything that's changed in 50 years it feels yeah. unfair calling that a modern pen uh, if we're talking modern pens it'd be the sailor pro gear particularly the Riallo, because I'm a sucker for piston fills. Um, but, yeah, Sailor Riallo for the modern, Parker Vacuumatic for vintage. What's the most amount of time or effort you ever put into acquiring a pen, and would you do it again? Oh, God, I'm sure the answer is I would do it again, but I'm not honestly sure. Any um, really hard Oh, ones? actually, no, no, I do know the answer. Uh, there, there have been some difficult ones. Uh, the answer would have been the third-generation um, red mm-hmm. Parker Vacuumatic from Canada because they are so hard to find. Yeah. Um, for for those who don't know the ins and outs of the Parker Vacuumatic, it was made in three major generations. The last generation, uh, which is sort of considered to be the less least desirable because it's the most common. There were the least amount of variations, like all the golden webs and all the really amazing finishes were all on the earlier ones. Um, that being said, the third generation is so easy to service. Uh, there are Chinese companies making knockoff Parker Vacuumatic 51s now that you can take those parts and, f- and, and repair yeah, a vintage right. Parker with. So, like, as just a usability, they are easily the ones to get. And so I had to have all five colours and I didn't want to sort of uh, muddy the waters of my collection by having one from the 1930s and the rest are all from 1946. Mm -hmm. I had to have all of them from the same era. So that was a real hunt. Um, How long did it take you to find the Canadian? It took a couple months and... and, um, which isn't that long, I suppose, but it, it ended up being probably four or five months of emailing people and and um there was one fellow who had one uh but he would go weeks at a time without responding to my emails and then he'd come and say he's like oh, i'm out of town when i'm in town i'll find it out and then he found it and it was like oh it's actually having a problem drawing up ink i'm gonna have to go get it serviced and then uh one popped up for sale on ebay and i was like that ah, tell you what i'm taking that one sorry <laughs> sorry mate this has gone on too long you'll sell it eventually i'm taking this one yep. and i uh, no regrets it's i got it i got it really well packaged mm-hmm. uh, it was exactly as descri- described and it's probably uh probably the best condition i have yeah. of any of my parker vacuumatics and that red celluloid is sort of notorious for fading under sunlight so clearly whoever had that just did not use it cool so on that on that storage and and the way that you received it in such good condition uh, how do you store your pens and do you take any special measures when you're storing your celluloid uh no real special measures i guess um they're always kept in sort of dark cold places except for 
I do have a couple pens that are pretty much always stay in a little uh, Dudek Modern Goods uh, walnut pen stand. But other than that, just in a in a leather case, in a drawer, out of the light, out I of guess. the light. Mm. Yeah, I'm never. I'm not one that probably unwisely. I'll probably um, really regret this one day. But I'm ne- I'm never super careful about my things. It's largely because I don't mind the things getting scratched and dented. I, I think that is a marking of my ownership of it. Um, but yeah, just reasonable. Obviously, if you're keeping them in storage, empty them in vink. Park of vacuumatics are a pain in the ass to clean, but you do your best and you just leave it in there. It's fine. As well as collecting fountain pens, are you also a user? And do you draw a clear line between pens that you use and ones that you keep on the shelf? Uh, there's not a single pen I keep on the shelf yep. unused. Everything gets used. Everything. Everything. No. So I'm very sorry if I get anything anyone else wants to uh, wants to buy one day because I'm never going to be able to say it's new old stock. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. All but. mine are used. I think Kevin, you've only got a like I have too many pens to have used them all, but there's there's, yeah. there's only that's a, a good that excuse. Yeah. That's a possible there's only a excuse. Couple, though that he wouldn't use. That's them. right. Yeah, I haven't made my mind up out of the uh, uh, the blue Lamy 2000. There are so few of those that's in the world. Actu- that's actually I was thinking just the same thing. Yeah. But at the same time, having um, I mean you've you've seen one completely disassembled. Uh-huh. Having disassembled the amount of 2000s I have won't make much of a difference. No, it'll take, and no, it'll and, take use well. And, yeah, it will take use well, of course, and no one would have any idea you did anything to it if you cleaned it out. No, yeah, it's just the the finish I worry about will age. Oh, yes, yeah, of um, course. So, yeah, I don't know if I want in 10 years' time to have one of the last remaining untouched Bauhaus blues or the one that I've gotten uh, 10 years of joy out of using. It's hard to hard to. I, I would I would lean towards the I would lean towards the latter mm. because of course there will always be mm-hmm. Bauhaus blues somewhere that have been completely unused. I don't know if I want it to be mine. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think my Bauhaus blue is just going to go down to the fact that, like we mentioned, I don't use blue yeah. pens very much. <laughs> so <laughs> watch this space for a Bauhaus blue in the future. <laughs> so you, we said at the start that you're a you're a pen collector, but you've also um, you've you've worshipped at the altar of pencils for a while, uh-huh. and watches and as watches. Well. And I noticed you do have notes. a pencil sticking out of your pocket today. You got a pen. You've got a watch on your wrist. Do these things work in combinations for you? And we haven't talked much about your watches as well. No, um, work in combination. I suppose because they're all. Um, I mean, same with same with like taste in movies, same with taste in music and whatever. It's it's very varied, but it's all um, I don't know whether it's called like I certainly have a I certainly have a feeling for vintage pens and vintage watches and vintage mm. pencils. Even it's it's a, it's a callback to a, another era. I think a lot of these things are like you look at mechanical watches. You can go on Etsy and buy a uh, not a not a chronometer certified or anything super special but you can buy a really really lovely mechanical watch that two hands put together Mm. Mm -hmm. with tiny little screwdrivers and cogs and yada 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 50 60 70 80 years ago that's still ticking today and that can be a watch that was meant for a kid so there's a level of uh craftsmanship and craftsmanship that no one will ever sort of pay any attention to other than you that I think you know nowadays in the in the world of in the world of mass production iPhones and Apple watches there is and things like that there is a romance to that era of manufacturing that there really isn't to today's. Mm. Um, of course, there are exceptions to that. The Musgrave Pencil Company is still going strong. It's still, I think, family operated, or at least it certainly seems like it. They are really close-knit group it's really lovely and there are countless pen companies like that and watches as well like uh i think it's vice uh, or weiss uh watches out of california it's uh, all a, all one guy's sort of op- main operation he learned how to make watches himself and he does the entire thing by himself and his instagram story is just him going on trips with his son and everything it's great so yeah i think it it it, it does it all serves towards that sort of call back to a more um, human connection to the objects we've got in our lives. Yeah. 
So you like them for the same reasons is what I'm hearing. But it's not a case of if you change pens, if you change your daily carry pen, you don't put on a new watch at yeah, the same not, time. Not necessarily. Yeah. Um, but that's largely because my, I suppose it doesn't, my watch collection and my pen collection are pretty similar. Mm. They're, it's, and they're not hugely varied. So say if I had, if I had a uh, Lamy 2000 in my pocket, I might not carry, uh, I wouldn't have, not like I own one, but I wouldn't have like a diamond encrusted gold Rolex or something because it just, the two things don't vibe mm. at all together. Mm. Uh, but if I had a Lamy 2000 in po- my pocket, I might wear uh, Junghen's Max Bill and Max Bill was a Bauhaus, actually from the Bauhaus school, uh, industrial designer. So there will, would be a common language between those two items. Oh, I've got to see this. What's yes. on your wrist today? <laughs> uh, on my wrist is a 1958 Universal Genève pole router wow. designed by Gerald Genta. He designed that at 23, and I got that when I was 23, when I just recently got uh, my promotion to the pen doctor. Ooh. So it, it means a lot, this little guy. I, I know nothing about watches, but that black face looks amazing to me. Yeah, I, it's got a really great crosshair dial, which uh, the pole router, a bit like the Omega Speedmaster or oh, Seamaster, sorry, and several others has, has come out and God knows how many different variations. Uh, this is the one I always wanted. So I wasn't going to get a pole router. It had to be when I was 23 years old, but I wasn't going to get a pole router until I found the one. Right. So I, I, I have it and I love it and I will cherish it till the day I die. And you've piqued Kevin's interest in Bauhaus watches now. Nope, so nope. I, yeah, I, I, yeah, <laughs> I need I, to walk no, away. No, no, if no. you ever want to do a group buy, I'm looking for one too. So. Mm. I can just hear Kevin's partner going, no, no, no. <laughs> Um, do you think your collecting habits have changed since you began your journey, your fountain pen journey? Yes, definitely. Uh, that The whole specificity thing is a thing I learnt. Um, I, I think, agree. I think like, uh, <laughs> you know me too well. No, just with me. I oh, agree okay. with me, yeah. yeah. Um, I think like most people that enter the hobby, especially those that are raised by uh, Papa Goulet, uh, they go through the. Uh, <laughs> they gotcha. They gotcha. I think he would take that name. With pride. All right, we're starting it here. Nib section is uh, finally dubbed uh, Papa Goulet. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, uh, being raised by Papa Goulet, I went through the stage of um, basically acquiring all the things that. Uh, the Visconti Homo sapiens, yes. the the Pelican M800s, mm-hmm. the yada, yada, yadas, the things that's, uh, that are, oh, the Pilot 823. And I, I, I still have two of those three that I mentioned, very specific ones, mm-hmm. but two of those yeah. three that mm-hmm. I mentioned. Um, but you just go through the acquisition phase of like, oh, I've got to have that. Yeah. Oh, I'm not a pen collector if I don't have a Mont Blanc 149. I'm not a pen collector if I don't have blah, blah, blah. And then I realized that, um, I mean, I know that this is the collector's edition, but I realized it's like, oh, but I'm not a collector. I'm a, I'm a curator of my taste. Yes. Which sounds like a giant yes. pile of wank, but that no, is exactly yeah. what I want to, you know, it's, that's what it is. I don't want to have the a, same and yeah, I'm the ex- same. Exactly. Well, yeah. they say the great sculptors, you know, they, they find the thing that's inside the rock. So you need to, yeah, you it's need to already the there. First, yeah, yeah. And then chip yeah, yeah, yeah. away. Nice. Yeah. yeah. See, I don't. Yeah, exactly. And I don't. Re- I don't really regret. Uh, that's not true. I, there are some things I regret. I don't regret buying a Visconti Homo Sapiens, yeah. even though I don't own it anymore. I don't regret buying uh, two one forty sixes only to get rid of both of them at different points. Yeah. I don't regret doing any number of different things. It got me to where I am now. Yes. Um, there are some things I regret just because they were bung and useless and broken, but. That was also a lesson, I suppose, yeah. is uh, be careful. Uh, we've touched briefly on the watches and the pencils and the glasses. Do you collect glasses as well? Um, do you collect anything other than pens? Um, uh, and I suppose... That the, we haven't already talked that about. That we haven't already talked about, yeah. Uh, I collect records. Yes. Uh, books. Books. Very dangerously books. Particularly, um, I'm... I'm particularly obsessive with if I find a book I really love I don't go for first editions because yeah. uh, I hate hardcovers mm-hmm. I will go for if it exists the mass market paperback right. 
version of it, which is the the little guy, mm-hmm. the penguin book size one. Yep. Particularly the seventies era, sixties and seventies, because the covers are always yes, the cool wild. Covers, yeah. mm. um, just last night, I bought a copy of uh, Ragtime by E. L. Doctorow with a really bright orange cover and some great text on it. I'm like, can't wait to have that because that little size fits in my jacket pockets and everything else. And I um, I do get a bit ob- ob- obsessive about these things. I hunted and hunted and hunted for the copy of uh, Jesus' Son that was the perfect dimensions to fit in my jacket pocket so I could, in theory, always have a copy of Jesus' Son by Dennis Johnson around. Uh, yeah, I, I don't collect glasses, I'm afraid, though. I just have one very specific pair. Well, that is the ultimate form of Isn't it just? If we've, yeah. heard, if we've heard anything today is eventually you, you <laughs> narrow it distillation. down. Distillation, yeah, distillation. Yeah. Yeah. You narrow in. If you could restart your collection from scratch, would you change anything about it? Um, no, this sounds very, um, this sounds very eat, pray, love, but no, I wouldn't because... <laughs> is that another book you have? Because the journey got me to where I am. Oh, mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> the the collections we've you've talked about that, you know, pencils, pens, watches, uh, books. There is a common element in the records. These are all analog things. Data maxes. Yeah. Um, Leather is, goods. Is it yeah. the fact that these are like analog things that um, they are, they're atoms and the shape they're in? There's no like data encoded in any of these things beyond that. Yeah. They're, they're what they are. Like, what is it that makes all of these things of interest to you? It's a very good question and something I'm going to have to think long and hard about. Um, well, you don't have time, so no, answer now. <laughs> um, but there's like, I've, I've just recently got into like, well, I guess not recently, but like I, I collect and sort of construct mechanical keyboards as well. And uh-huh. I love typewriters and, 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 um, and oh God, this is. Mechanical really, keyboards for computers. You're correct. Yep. And um, I'm realizing this is more of a rabbit hole than I thought it would be. Mm. Um, and then vintage computing things like old calculators, like Mario Bellini designed a calculator in the 70s for Olivetti, which is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. I'm like, I never do sums in my life, but I want that calculator. Yeah. It's just something about, I think all the things that I own, whatever they may be, are well-designed. In my, like, I think well-designed and well-made. And that doesn't matter where they're from. I don't believe in made in USA as a great thing or made in Japan as a great thing or made in Germany as a great thing inherently Mm. Uh, it often is but inherently it's it's not important I'm interested in knowing the story behind an item if if an item has a story if that's well known um, or not well known but knowable Mm. I suppose Mm. and um, little little quirks in history as well like Betamaxes things that were technically better than the thing that uh, the VHS that was vastly more popular but just never got anywhere. Uh, I love little things like that, yeah. Just sort of expanding from that, like a, a Mario Belletti calculator, mm. is that correct? Mm-hmm. How how do you research that or how do you find that? Do you still research it on the internet or are you are you just sort of browsing books and you come across these kind of things and you go, that looks interesting, I'll look into that a little bit more? Like, how there's, you- there's a great... Um, there's a great uh, fa- Facebook group called um, Calculators Oceania. <laughs> yep. And there's a really great YouTube channel called uh, the Goulet Calculator Company. Right. And they do no some relation. really wild stuff. No <laughs> relation. No relation. <laughs> I think they're actually from... <laughs> they're from company. <laughs> they're from uh, Albania, I think. Ah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, I... It, was, it actually came from being interested in typewriters that I found out about this because Mario Bellini who actually has worked for Lamy. Um, Mario Bellini did uh, a couple of typewriters for Olivetti. Uh, and that was through, I found this great website, I think it's called Mass Made Soul, which I think goes into what I was, I, I like mass produced soulful products, I suppose. Um, and they had an article about this little bright orange, really, really wicked looking calculator. Mm. And I'm like, that's awesome. Um, and fun little aside, do you know what Mario Bellini's brother's name is? Is it alcohol-based? <laughs> Mario Bellini. Is it Luigi Bellini? It's, it's not Luigi Bellini. <laughs> I wish it was. Kevin goes See, computer this games the... and I go alcohol. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and thus the theme of today is... <laughs> no, I'm afraid it's not Luigi. What? It's Dario. 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 So Mario and Dario, Dario. Bellini. Dario. <laughs> uh, and they designed a hell of a, hell of a cool 
television in the late 60s, I'll, um, I'll have, to, have to find that and link both of you, mm. that, little, mm. uh, that little television. Don't worry, Diana will be looking for it for the show notes. Um, and, and what I'm getting is that even though you are a thoroughly modern analogue guy, mostly the only way that you can research this stuff is still is going to be the internet. It's the most modern oh, yeah. modern thing of all because everything's there. And I love the internet and I'm addicted to my phone. <laughs> and I have uh, I, I, a OnePlus, one latest generation OnePlus phone. I, I, I can't – I'm not walking around with a suitcase telephone or oh, but anything that like that. that would be cool. <laughs> yeah, um, maybe for business. Oh, yeah. If I, if I have my, if my have business phone is that – The portable Or, you know, the, the one in the below the gearbox in my Mercedes-Benz, that kind of Wall Street. <laughs> yeah. In the back of the stretch limo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, what do you think fountain pen people have in common? You get to meet a lot of them, I suppose. Yeah. Um. Twitchy eyebrows. No, really? I really don't know. Mm-hmm. I really don't know. A crazed look in their eye. Um, <laughs> I don't think there is a common theme. I was going to say obsessiveness, but then some people are totally chill about it. Yeah. I, and then you can't also say, like, oh, attention to detail or whatever else because that also isn't true. I think anyone is a fountain pen collector. They just don't know it yet. Yeah. <laughs> There's literally a way into this hobby. It's not a particular hobby. It's not a elitist hobby. It's not mm-hmm. a particular – it's, it's – anyone can be interested in it. Yeah. I, I, to be honest, I kind of believe that about anything. I think mm. anyone can be interested in anything. They've just got to find their way into it. Yep. There's a lot of ways in mm. to find yeah. pens. Office works. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> what advice would you give uh, to newcomers to the hobby? Understand that you're going to make mistakes and don't beat yourself up about it. Yep. That's the big thing. Understand that... You're, if you've just bought your first fountain pen, you've got no idea what you like and what you don't like. I remember looking at pictures of um, the Pelican, any Pelican pen actually, for ages. It's like, oh, ugly. Can't mm-hmm. understand it. And I'm now, still there. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, fair. <laughs> the, the Pelican bill took a long time yeah. to get over. And then, you know, you find the brown tortoise and you start to fall in love and you get one in the hand and you write with it and everything sort of changes. And I, I mean, I had the same feeling, Kevin, as about the Lamy 2000, would you believe it or not? Mm, I believe and it. And then I saw it in person yeah. and everything changed. Mm. Not saying that saying it in person is a thing that will change your mind, but just be understand that you have no idea what your taste is. Yeah. And you might not for years. Yeah. And, and to, getting it, the pen in hand yeah. before you buy it is probably... One of the best things you can do early oh, on. It's 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 fantastic. Um, I, I and yeah, find 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 someone you can trust as well to help guide you into the hobby. Um, I I was taken under the wing by people like uh, Nicholas Gold and uh, Mark Hobson and Sophia and all the all the all the fountain pen uh, Oceania folk and they having people in the hobby really helps you. Um, Go through the go through the junk, I suppose. And when you decide you don't want a Visconti Homo sapiens, you've got a network of people you can sell, you can sell it, it to. Sell it to exactly. You sell it to another newbie, and then they use it, and then they can continue on with their journey. Exactly. That's it. Um, three favorite pens in your collection. Have we been through this? No, we have not. No, three um, favorite pens. Three favorite pens. All right. So your Golden Pearl Parker Vacumatic, easy. Uh, can we do one from each? Like, one from each. Like a. Vacuumatic. Yeah, okay. Schaefer Balance. Schaefer. Yeah. All right, so the Schaefer Balance would be a 1930s Carmine Oversize Vacuum Fill Balance. Uh, which Carmine, I'm, so it's red. Carmine, so it's red. Cool. And it's Science. it's vertical, vertical striated oh. celluloid. Striated? Striated? Who knows? You know the most about this More stuff science. of the three of us. <laughs> uh, so, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Words mean no good. <laughs> mm. But I'm landing, so it's yeah, fine. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the definitely the Carmine oversized vacuum fill that I got from Bernie a couple of years ago, and I did not realise how rare those pens are when I got it. Winner. And then third pen would be. Hmm. Actually, we'll do a couple more. Oh. Right, a bit, bit more than three. <laughs> so the third vintage pen would be the Mont Blanc Two Thirty Four which is this tiny little pocket-sized pen that kind of looks like the 139s, like the old, the 
if for those who don't know, the 130 series was the one that preceded the 140 series that everyone knows now. And if you're familiar with the writer's, writer's edition, Ernest Hemingway, that's what that was effectively aping was that era. Mm. It's this tiny little pocket-sized uh, version of that. It has this beautiful ski slope feed and on the side is Mont Blanc with the uh, mountain in between ah. Mont and Blanc. Wow. And uh, it just looks like something that should be carried in the pocket of someone driving a Porsche through St. Moritz. Like Ooh. it's it's fantastic, that little thing. Mm. Um, a bit broad and a bit flexy for something that I'll use every day mm-hmm. but um, and for my handwriting too for that matter. But it is a beaut. But when it's a lovely sunny day and you've just got an Aperol spritz in front of you and your oh, journal, yeah. you just pull that baby out and, yeah, and you're, you're back you're, in Europe. You'll want to speak with an accent. <laughs> and uh, the, next, uh, the next pen that I use regularly uh, is a Pelican M800 brown tortoise with a cursive italic uh, by Pendleton Brown, yeah. which I bought from community member Torin. Torin. Good old Torin. Torin as well. Oh, yeah. he's, he's, just, he's a guaranteed bite. <laughs> yeah, it was quite, it was quite, he was very good. I, uh, it was the most I'd ever spent on a pen at that point. Um, and I couldn't pay for it all in one go. So I said, can we split the payment? He said, that's absolutely fine. As soon as I paid the first half, he shipped it. Yeah. Oh, good man. And so I got the pen and I used it before I paid him the second half. And I was like, I just felt, was like, you, the amount of trust you put in yeah, me. Yeah, he's a good bloke. Absolutely lovely. And um, that pen is just astounding. I love a bit of feedback in my mm-hmm. nibs. Uh, sort of feels a little bit vintage and the grind on that pen is just next level. Lovely. So good. So wow. that's my top four. Mm. Cool. Uh, Silvana, one of your workmates, one of our mates. Also a Bauhaus Blue owner, I understand. Yes, yep. she is. There's like five or six. We're a little club ten. Here. Yep. It's like yeah. ten in Victoria now. Mm. We need we need rings or something like signet rings. You've got pens. <laughs> yeah, but like signet rings. You've got rings. magic pens. I hold the. I, I picture us holding, holding them, them out. Holding them out. All right, we were right. All right, we've got to work out like a, a secret handshake or a like a chant or something at yeah. the pen show. Can we just get you all in a photo? Uh, yes, we can, yes. and yes, we will. That's yes, cool. <laughs> uh, Silvana asks, "Do you have a?" grail pen and what makes it your grail pen all right i do have a grail pen for the longest time it was x mont blanc pen or x nakia pen or anything like that and um nicholas gold who teases me every time i see him with his mont blanc hemingway once uh, talked about what his grail pen was i can't remember what it was but he said to me a grail pen is not one that i just can't afford or is hard to get it's a pen i know i'll never get mm. yeah ever get mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, that makes sense. I still want your Hemingway, Nick, but <laughs> that makes sense. Um, and I think I finally discovered what my actual grail I will never get pen is. And it is a prototype of the Lamy 2000. I don't know how many there are. There's at least one working prototype. And it's made out of, rather than the Macrolon and stainless steel that the classic uh, 2000s made of from the beginning until now, it's made out of Bakelite right. and nickel. Right. Yeah. So and, Bakelite and it would, looks, be a, it would be a shiny black. Yeah, yeah. It's much slicker. It, hasn't got the, it doesn't look like it's got the brushed look as much. Yep. Um, of course, we don't know how much, we don't know... If, they were also testing what mm. the brushed look would mm. look like at that mm. point or if they decided on that. Maybe you could brush Bakelite. Who are we exactly, using? yeah. I've got no idea other than the fact it was made to use very, very, very brittle records yeah. once upon a time. So I know they made telephones. The old, yeah, 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 yeah. The classic the old plastic uh, phone with the, the, the rotary dial. They're, they're all, mm-hmm. or were for a while, all Bakelite. Yeah, the, uh, the all the president's men uh, yeah. s- phone sound effect you is could, that you phone. You can hit a spy on the back of the <laughs> head with one. The old... Um, like in the 60s and 70s, the canisters that you used to keep on, not us because we weren't there, <laughs> used to keep on your bench top with like tea, sugar and flour. Were they made out of Bakelite as well, that kind of plastic? I'll go along with that. Yeah, it, it rings a bell to me. It's probably yeah, wrong. Okay. Diana yeah. will fact check. Yeah. And nickel. And nickel. And nickel, yeah. Which I imagine would be a duller Yeah, look. it, it looks similar, but in the photos I've seen of this prototype, it had almost like a, a, a warm hue to it. Mm. 
um, ever so slightly. Whether that's a property of nickel, I don't know anything about nickel, yeah. but whether that's a property of it or just something from age or yeah. or just uh, they've slapped this together as literally a prototype. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if they ever intended to make 2000s out of Bakelite or whether they were just doing it as a concept while they waited for the Macrolon to come mm, in. But mm. yeah, that'd be the grail. I mean, there might only be one. So, so you two will have to fight over it. <laughs> yeah, I need I need to um to the death. No. Couple of couple of phone phone calls made to and we'll organize my Ocean's Eleven and we'll break into <laughs> Heidelberg. Yeah. So. You two can share it. A week on and a week off. Yeah, yeah. Custody battle. <coughs> now it's the part of the pod where we share our recommendations. Tom, would you like to go first? Yeah, so I'm gonna recommend a book I've been reading. Uh, it's by Werner Herzog the famous German filmmaker who once ate his own shoe for a bet. Um, Rather than his hat? Well, okay, so the quick backstory behind that, quick backstory, he made a... uh, Les Blank, another great documentarian, made a film called Werner Herzog Eats His Shoe. And the reason Werner Herzog was going to eat his shoe, if I remember correctly, was... um, other, uh, other documentarian, Aaron, Errol Morris, who did Fog of War and Thin Blue Line, he made his first documentary... Documentary? Documentary, I like documentary, it. Documentary. Uh, documentary about uh, pet cemeteries, and he called it Gates of Heaven, and Werner Herzog was like, this will never get into a cinema. <laughs> no one is ever going to see a documentary about pet cemeteries. It did get into cinemas. Mm. People did go see it. So Werner Herzog ate his shoe. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Uh, but the book is called Of Walking in Ice, um, and it's Werner Herzog's diary from the 1970s uh, about his trip from Munich to Paris. So he was told by a friend that Lottie Eisner, who was a film critic and a filmmaker, had had a stroke and was dying. And she'd been a real champion to the German new wave of people like Werner Herzog and Wim Wenders and uh, uh, Fassbinder and all sorts. And uh, Werner Herzog said, she cannot die. German cinema needs her. And he got this thought that he's like, if I walk to her, she won't die. So in the middle of winter in 1974, I think, he walked for four weeks through from Munich to Paris. Just got a compass out. Walked in a straight line. It's hard to do with one shoe. Indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> he hadn't winter. eaten it at that point, so he was okay. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's an inc- it's an incredible Amazing incredible story. book. And if you haven't seen any Werner Herzog films, watch a couple of Werner Herzog films and just revel in the madness of them. They're something else. Cool, Kevin. Um, we're we're recording this at my office at a company called Culture Amp, where I work every day. Uh, so it seems sitting that I would share something that Cultramp's done recently. Um, for those who've not heard of it, Cultramp is a startup based in Melbourne. We make a, a web application that companies like uh, Adobe, Airbnb, Coles in Australia, a bunch of companies all over the world, 2,000 plus of them, uh, use to collect, understand, and act on employee feedback. And I, I go to work every day. Uh, with the mission of making the workplaces of the world better places to work. Um, and it's been a somewhat expensive paid product that only a big company would afford uh, until now. Uh, but we recently put out uh, what we call our diversity and inclusion starter kit. Um, the Cultramp product is full of these surveys that companies can use to collect feedback. And one of the survey templates that we've put out recently that's backed by uh, org psychology and is full of benchmark data so you can compare your own company against your industry or or your part of the world in general. Um, when we did that for the diversity and inclusion space, how do we get more diverse people in companies? How do we make them feel included once they get there? That felt important enough to us that we wanted to release that for anyone to use. So if you go to cultureamp.com slash start, you can get for free access to that diversity and inclusion survey. You can send it to the people in your company. You can understand who are the people in your company and what is the experience they're having. And then 
based on those results, our product also for free will recommend the actions you can take in order to make improvements to that part of your company culture. So if you work for a company that's, you know, 50 or more people, it's bigger than it is easy to have a conversation with everyone ab uh, about something like this, uh, I recommend you check it out, cultureamp.com slash start. Well done. Sounds great. Yeah. How about you, Mel? What's your recommendation? Mine is coffee-related. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I've just recently started receiving a coffee subscription monthly. Ooh la la. Ooh la la. I feel very hipster, but I like it. And I live in the country, so it's good. Um, so the company that I would like to recommend is a Melbourne-based company called No BS Coffee. Wow. Um, and they are a subscription coffee, ground coffee slash coffee bean delivery service. They deliver you a bag or two or three of locally roasted coffee to your door for a monthly fee. There are three tiers of subscription based around the amount of coffee you drink in a month or that you think you'll drink in a month. Some people do a lot more. I'm on the smallest scale because if I have too much <laughs> then me and the seven-year-old are on similar uh, <laughs> wavelengths and that's never good. Um, so, yeah, you decide if you want beans or ground, um, whether it's for espresso or pour-over or AeroPress. Um, I love it. I've got a little one-cup stove cafetiera um, and my little LD milk frother, um, and it's a different coffee each month. Oh, wow. Um, and they support local, local Melbourne um, and the shipping's free. Wow. And I love free shipping. Yeah. It must be good because you picked up a coffee at the cafe next door oh, on your way here. And what did I say? And you came in and you went, ugh, this oh. coffee is terrible. <laughs> so which tells bad. you you're, drink, you're drinking the good stuff. Yeah. yeah. And I'm making the good stuff at home, yeah. which is, you know, you go to if you go to a cafe, you expect the good stuff. You don't expect it to be bitter. You got your frother at Aldi. Where did you get the cafetiera? Um, from Alternative Brewing online tiny little one thing you put your little espresso glass underneath it and it just pours into it it's cute i feel like a failed hipster i've never heard that word in my life cafetiera no i'm, I'm certainly not going to try and pronounce it <laughs> <laughs> no that's how my italian friends say it so that's how i <laughs> the ones i grew up with so that's why silvana where are you Sil. <laughs> um cool that wraps up this episode of the nib section podcast thank you so much tom Thank you. This has been wonderful. Thanks for having us, Kevin. Bye for now. Bye. Future episodes of this podcast can be found at thenipsection.com and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hop onto iTunes, rate us, review us, recommend us to your friends. Want to share your thoughts, suggestions, feedback? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at thenibsection at gmail.com. You can also comment at us on the Nib Section Facebook page or at The Nib Section on Twitter and Instagram. The Nib Section is the official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. Our producers this episode were Kevin Yank and Mal Sanders. Recording and editing was done by Kevin Yank and Diana Dye. Special thanks this episode goes to Tom May. Our music was composed by Michael Pierce. Our logo was designed by Will H. Smith with artwork by Melissa Graff. Thank you for listening. Do 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 do